Welcome to the Dwell Church Sermon Archive. Dwell is a family defined by the love of God and committed to giving it away. Here is this week's message. Thank you, Ashley. Thanks, band. Just so you know, it's about to get weird in here. Hope that you're prepared. Uh, We did actually just read breasts and bosoms from the stage, so you could tell that things are going to get strange. Good job, Ashley. You handled it very, very well. Uh, This isn't nearly as bad as if you guys were around uh, during Hosea. I had to say whore like six times during a message, so I've become pretty comfortable with anything. So just be prepared. It's going to get weird. Give me a little bit of grace. I'm preemptively asking. I know I'm going to say something inappropriate or strange up here, and uh, we're all just going to enjoy it, okay? Here's the thing. Uh, The Bible talks about sex and love and marriage a lot more than Christians actually do. Uh, which is kind of problematic if you think about it. I feel like uh, it's something that we're very uncomfortable in talking about, but uh, Proverbs doesn't seem to be that way. Proverbs talks a lot about marriage, and honestly, most of it is warnings against adultery. And if you've been here through our series, you've probably heard me say before that Proverbs is actually a collected group of sayings for future kings of Israel. And apparently what this tells us then, if that is true, then back then, men who were in powerful positions very often used that position to take advantage of other people and sleep with more women than they should. The good thing is we've progressed past that now as a society, and now in 2023, that's not a problem anymore, and so good for us, right? No, how crazy is that, right? Same problems. Anyway, uh, today, godly advice from Proverbs is that if you are married, don't commit adultery. Simple enough, right? Okay. Check. You got that? No. Uh, That may seem like a simple task, but it's actually a challenging one. 20% of men and 13% of women self-report, that's important, self-report, having slept with someone other than their spouse. Another study says that 25% of marriages will experience infidelity at some point. So it's common enough, uh, this idea of adultery. But then you hear this from Jesus in the New Testament, and all of a sudden it becomes even more common and even more difficult. He says this in Matthew 5, 27 and 28. You have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now this is not our main passage for today, but it's crucial to understanding what we're going to talk about today. Especially if you're like, okay, don't commit adultery, that's all I need to do. I can stay away from that. Jesus here takes it a step further. Jesus takes adultery from something that two people do to some, or two people do, and turns it into something that one person thinks. And if you were here when we went through this passage, when we were walking through Matthew, you saw how over and over again Jesus, especially here in the Sermon on the Mount, reminds his followers that he is after their hearts, not just their actions. That Jesus wasn't just solely interested in what they were doing, but actually what they were thinking. Looking right doesn't make your heart right. And in this case, even if you're not physically with someone who is not your spouse, that sin in your own heart and in your own mind still messes you up. What Jesus is doing here is he's taking the idea that sin or or doing things that are against God's good plan for the universe is not just harmful for the people that are sort of in the middle of it, but it's actually something that messes you up inside. And this makes intuitive sense, right? When you can't forgive someone, that actually ends up hurting you, even if it doesn't hurt them at all. When you hate someone, it hurts you, even if they don't actually know about it. And when you lust after someone in your mind, you're committing adultery without even touching them. I'm going to jump in and go a little bit graphic, so go ahead and bear with me here. 
If you followed someone on like OnlyFans or something like that and watched this person get naked every day and then only slept with your spouse once a year, who would you say that you're more sexually connected with? If you were thinking about your coworker every time that you were with your spouse, who do you actually love more? And this is not Jesus like guilting you or trying to like throw something extra on you. This is Jesus exposing something about the way that our minds work. Like this is telling us a truth about human beings that our minds are powerful, our fantasies define us. What we do in here is just as important as what we do out there. And so, all of that is to say, I rushed through a really, really important point, you gotta sort of like hang on that, that today, when we're talking about adultery, we're not just talking about sleeping with someone else. We're also talking about pornography and sexual fantasies, but we're not just talking about those either. Today, what I want us to do is to be able to talk about adultery in a broad definition of anything that we should reserve only for our spouse that we give away to another person. So yes, that includes sleeping with your spouse, so only sleep with your spouse, right? That was sort of like step number one. But also, they should be the keeper of your secrets, the person who knows you the best, your favorite person. And when we, find, we start finding that in someone else, we start missing out on actually something good and gracious that is a gift from God that he has given to us. So, so today, when we're discussing adultery, I want us to include like emotional infidelity as well. And just the very idea that there are things that you should be getting from your spouse and giving to your spouse that you shouldn't be with other people. So we're going to take this broad understanding of adultery and apply it to our marriages. And I believe that we'll be better off for it. That this isn't like guilt or shame coming from scripture trying to make you feel bad, but it's actually a gift. It's truth from the word of God destined or designed to make you happy and satisfied and joyful in your most intimate relationship. Now, I know this is a touchy subject for uh, a lot of reasons. Uh, a lot of us are in very different phases and stages of our life. Maybe you're married, maybe you're not. Um, maybe your marriage is in a really healthy spot. Maybe it's in a not so great spot. <clears throat> because of that, uh, I want to be sort of like sensitive to that, uh, but also at the same time speak directly to people who are married in the room. So if you're not married in the room, uh, if you ever plan on getting married, you can just sort of like tuck this in the back pocket. This is like some good wisdom. Um, but even if not, uh, I want to remind everyone here at Dwell that we actually affirm uh, that God does actually call some people to be single, and that's the best way that they can actually serve the kingdom of God. Uh, we see that all throughout Scripture, and so it seems in keeping that we would affirm that as well. Um, and so if that is you, uh, what I invite you to do today is actually hear this and then take it almost as if you are a person that is called to be a part of a community that has married people in it. Because I believe that if you're here, if you're a part of this family, if Dwell is your home and you're single, then like you're called to be a living in community, which means you're not just caring about yourself only, but you're actually here to be a champion and to come alongside marriages that are existing in your community and in your small group. So hopefully this will be good and meaningful advice, uh, even if that's your stage of life. All right. I've danced around it enough. Let's jump right in. Drink from your own well. I'm going to read this passage again. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely deer, a graceful doe, let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of, adulter of an adulteress? 
As you can see, we're getting a little PG-13 up in here. All right, Solomon is in fact going there, and it's cool, we're all married, right? Oh, no, not really. Anyway, uh, if you don't understand what he's talking about here, because yes, he's talking about what you think he's talking about, uh, you can ask your mom or dad later, would probably be a good plan, just call them up, turn to this passage and walk through and be like, what's going on here exactly? I need to understand and interpret this passage. Also, I wanna take note too, uh, just how strange this was. It, we might miss it if we just breeze right past it, but this was like some like grade A romantic poetry back in the day. Solomon was like, dang girl, you was looking like a deer out here. And they were like, oh, excuse me, right? Like if you've ever seen like a Song of Solomon, he's like, your teeth are like sheep and your nose is a tower and the ladies swooned, okay? So like this is in fact that kind of like romantic language. We read stuff in the Bible and we're like, no, 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 no. This is Bible, this is Solomon, this is old school stuff. Like, this is not like what I think it is. This is exactly what you think it is. That's all I'm gonna say about that, okay? He is talking about what you think he is talking about. He is telling the future kings of Israel that they need to enjoy their wives, that they need to rejoice in her, be intoxicated by her, on and on. And you see actually in uh, verse 19, it says, let her breast fill you at all times with delight and be intoxicated always in her love. That actually is talking about quantity and quality of their sexual relationship, okay? So we are knee deep into it now. Let's get even deeper, all right? <clears throat> Here, Solomon is telling uh, the kings of Israel that they should actually enjoy their specific wives and only their wives. That's why this passage opens the way that it does. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well, which has become sort of like a, a phrase that keeps on popping up in my head. He's saying like, there is a wife for you and it is your own wife. She is the one that you should focus on. You probably heard a lot of people or heard of people, maybe even know somebody like this that's gotten married and then uh, decided that like, you know, they don't love that person or even like uh, that their sexual orientation has changed or something like that. And I really don't understand it, at least if you're taking like some sort of like biblical understanding of what marriage is, I really can't wrap my mind around it. And here's the real rub. Here's like the reason why. After you're married, you should only be interested in one person. Right, like at that point you're not like homosexual or heterosexual, you should be bill-sexual or sally-sexual, right? Assuming that is the name of your spouse, all right? Don't just fill that in for anybody, all right? <clears throat> I was sitting there and I was like thinking about this one time uh, and I realized that like, even though I was like talking about this like weird situation that I had heard about, like this should actually be true of me as well, right? Like the only person for me is Sarah. I am now Sarah-sexual which uh, is a phrase that I got Sarah to sign off on before I put it in here, okay? For all of you, before you start judging me too harshly, all right? I think she liked it. She's my only type, right? Like now I'm not like, oh, okay, like I'm into brunettes. No, that's not a thing. Like I am in to, uh, you know, blonde women that are about yay high with like blue eyes. Like no, like Sarah is the only one. And that's the way that it's supposed to be. And the fact that like Solomon even has to say, hey, drink from your own cistern should show us the ways in which we tend to like veer off of that path. Your spouse should be the only one for you. If you have sexual desires and needs, then, then the only place that you should be looking for them to be fulfilled is in your spouse. Literally in this passage, God's answer to your desire for sex is not that you would develop some sort of iron will or like discipline yourself to like, you know, stay in your marriage. And we're gonna talk about discipline in a second. That's definitely a part of it. 
But here Solomon is not just saying like, hey, work really hard and then you'll survive this. He's saying, I've actually given you a place to have those desires fulfilled. And when you have it in the right time, in the right place, with your spouse, that it's actually a blessing. See, God here has created a solution for our deepest needs. And the only place that you should be looking for sex is actually in the person that he has put you with. If we allow for a broader view of adultery, like I called for earlier, then the only place that you should be looking for that deep, intimate companionship is in your spouse. The only place that you should be looking for that lifelong commitment is in your spouse. The only place you should be looking for romance is in your spouse. It's such a simple yet beautiful idea. You are thirsty and you have been given a well. Drink from it. Drink from it as a command and a blessing from God. Be intoxicated at all times with your well. Be the best well that you can be. Do not deprive each other. As 1 Corinthians uh, 7 says, Wives, know now that you are the only place that your husband needs to be looking for to fulfill his sexual desires. Be that lovely deer. Be that graceful doe. Husbands, you are the only place that your wife needs to look for, look to to have her hopes and dreams for a relationship filled. She's the only, or you are the only place where she should be looking for her sexual desires to be filled. Be always intoxicated with her love. And both of you enjoy one another as God designed you to do and gave you to each other as a blessing. Drink from your own well. The reason why we have to say this is because it's a difficult thing to do. If this was just like the, the only natural option that we would ever come to or arrive to as ourselves, then Solomon would not put it in his book of wisdom. And so if you struggle, if you find yourself as a person that's like looking outside of your marriage for some of these things, or even as a person who's maybe not married yet and still trying to find these things, use this as sort of like a, a mantra in your mind. When you find your heart wandering and looking outside of your marriage for some form of satisfaction, be it emotional or sexual or whatever, so that when you see that cute guy at work, remind yourself, drink from your own well. When you're tempted to look at pornography, Drink from your own well. When you find yourself growing too close to that woman in your workout class, drink from your own well. Whatever it is that you find yourself in, this is the reminder from Solomon. Drink from your own well. And the beautiful thing is you'll actually be happier in doing this. That's what's crazy about it. Some good wisdom from Proverbs that provides a restriction in your life and makes you happier at the same time. It's a good thing. <clears throat> Let's finish out this passage with just three observations that are actually sort of like responses to what Solomon is saying here. First, God is never surprised and doesn't make mistakes. You can see this in verse 21. And ask, as I'm reading this, why is this passage in the middle of a section about marriage and fidelity? Verse 21 says, For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. I believe that Solomon here is reminding us that God sees every single thing that you do. So part of it is like a little bit of like, I know you think you're doing that adultery and secretly, or secret, uh, but inevitably God is going to see all of your paths. 
but also he is letting us know that the paths that you choose or think you are choosing, whatever, if we want to get into like how God is in control of the universe, the paths that you go down are thought of, known before you actually take them by God. And that means, if that is true, that he actually knows who your spouse is going to be before you do. Maybe somebody needs to hear today that he didn't make a mistake in this. That you are with the person that you are with for a reason. That you are the pathway to someone else's sanctification and they are yours. That you are the only way that they might grow to look more like Jesus. They are the only way that you might grow to look more like Jesus. And look, there are times when that doesn't exactly work out. There are even biblical grounds for divorce. Uh, we're not going to talk about that too, too much uh, today. But until you're actually in one of those situations, you need to recognize that God has put you in this marriage for a reason. It doesn't surprise him that one of you puts on a lot of weight. It doesn't surprise him that one of you are just less interested in being romantic than you were at the beginning. None of that comes out of left field for him. And yet he chose for you to be in this relationship. Your spouse is for you. This is a call to love the one that you're with because the God of the very universe ordained it that you two might be together. And he doesn't make mistakes. Next, temptations become addictions. Here's the truth of things uh, that we want, that we know are bad for us. A little taste can become an obsession, right? We all know how this works, right? Somebody brings over crumble cookies to your house, and uh, you take one bite and you go, this is disgusting, it's too much sugar. How can anyone eat a full crumble cookie? This is madness, right? So you put them on the counter, and then you walk by later on, and you're like, I'll just take a little pinch. And you take a little pinch. And then you go by and you're like, I'll just take a little nibble. I'll get some more of that, right? And then over the next three days, you eat a dozen cookies, but never taking more than one bite at a time. And then the next time that you walk past that counter, you start salivating and you don't know why. You have just Pavlov dogs yourself uh, right into a desire for a crumble cookie, right? We all know how that works. We get it, right? Like temptations become addictions. Or as Proverbs says in 522, the iniquities of the wicked ensnare him. He is held fast in the cords of his sin. It's crazy to me that a book that is about 3,000 years old can tell us something so true about our nature. It's funny how we are just now beginning to understand how pornography and sex can become addictions. And Solomon told us that thousands of years ago. He said our very sin can be cords that hold us, that snare us. Temptations can become addictions. <clears throat> the reason why it feels appropriate to talk about this in the middle of this sermon is because many of us uh, have probably found other wells to drink from. And here's what I want you to know, especially uh, we, I think many of us know the sort of like uh, addictive nature that pornography has on our lives, the hold that it has on so many. If you find yourself in this very moment snared by that, I don't envy you. I've been there. And here's the reality of what's ahead of you. If you want to break out of that snare, 
Maybe it's pornography, maybe it's not, maybe it's something else. If you want to actually break out of this, you need to recognize that it is not going to be easy. It's not going to be a simple and easy road. It's going to be painful and awkward and difficult and embarrassing. The road is filled with much hardship ahead. But if this word is true, then the other alternative is much worse. Being ensnared forever, held fast in the cords of your sin. If you find that this is you, I would encourage you just talk to someone, talk to me, talk to a friend, talk to your spouse, be open, be vulnerable. We want you to be well and we can help. We can connect you with counseling if that's what you need. We can pair you up with someone else to help you out of this. This is not something that we want to stand by and allow people to be suffering with in silence and in darkness. Don't you dare let embarrassment and shame hold you in this any longer than you need to be. If we aren't a community who are invested in breaking the cords of sin in and with and for each other, then who are we? Finally, discipline is the pathway to joy. Discipline is the pathway to joy. This sentence may seem completely backwards to you, but I believe that it's true. Ray Ortland says that the biblical view of sex is one of both form and freedom, and we often miss out on that because we lean too hard in one direction. Conservative thinking about sex, now I'm talking, you know, like the sort of philosophical grounds of conservative, not like, you know, uh, like uh, political parties or anything like that. Conservative thinking on sex is usually leaning towards too much form or rules or structure and think that sex is all about restraint, right? Like, uh, and that kind of calls into question, like, did you just read the same passage that I did, right? Like, that is not, like, built on, you know, restraining too, too much, right? Progressive thinking, on the other hand, though, is based on too much freedom and openness in sex to think that sex is all about the abandonment of structures and self-personal fulfillment. The beauty of biblical sex is that it is both. And that is what we are made to enjoy. It is both form and freedom. Ray Ortland says this, we thrive within both form and freedom. Sex is like fire. In the fireplace, it keeps us warm, and outside the fireplace, it burns the house down. Proverbs 5 is saying, keep the fire in the marital fireplace and stoke that fire as hot as you can. This is why our passage today ends with this from verse 23. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. It reminds us that a little bit of discipline can actually save us from a lot of pain. That our own foolishness is very often what leads to heartache and broken relationships. We need disciplines and structures in our life. If you're married, you and your spouse need to come up with some boundaries and not cross them. If you're single, maybe you need to set some boundaries on how close you'll get to someone who isn't your spouse. Some good boundaries you at least need to have a conversation about as a, as a marriage uh, unit, like as a family, is uh, what types of media are safe to consume for each other? What types of things are actually gonna push you more to drink from your own well? What types of things are gonna pull you away from that? What types of communication should and shouldn't be secret from each other? Is there anything that falls into that category? 
At any time, Sarah can see what messages I've sent, any emails. There's nothing that I keep away from her. This, for whatever reason, has become a contentious one. Should you be able to track each other's location? I don't know how you feel about that. Really, at the end of the, at the, end of the day, the whole idea around discipline and setting good structures in your life is that you, too, as a married couple, come to decisions about disciplines that will actually make you more committed to one another, more in love with one another, more ready to drink from your own well. And if the goal, as is our modern bent would tell us, if the goal is freedom in all of this and not having any restraints and not being tied down and not like withholding anything in and of ourselves, if the goal is freedom, then these questions get answered one way. But if the goal is trust and biblical wisdom, then we find that discipline is actually the beginning, the pathway to which we might find joy in our marriage relationships. We might drink from our own well and enjoy one another completely. Now, I know I just started some fights and some marriages today, and I'm sorry. So I want to just sort of like end on this note. Here's what I think you should do. I think you should drink from your own well. You do need to have those conversations. You do need to have the discipline that results from those conversations. But then I'm encouraging you to enjoy one another. And yes, I mean it like that, all right? Uh, you don't have to, like, there would be a really weird thing if, like, after the gathering, you were like, well, Josh said we gotta, so let's do this thing. That would be super strange, not romantic either, okay? Uh, for some of you guys who are like, yes, all right, he has given me the, the card. I don't know, anyway, I'm gonna lose that analogy before I get lost. But here's what I wanna encourage you to do. And I want to, like, uh, actually, I'm glad that, you know, we can joke and laugh about it. I wanna, like, actually open this up to you Man, if this is biblical wisdom from Solomon, if it is actually good for you, if it's actually going to be good and meaningful from your for your marriage, I am trying to open the conversation for you. Hey, sit down with your spouse. Take them somewhere nice. Do something that you love doing together. Have a frank conversation. What does our marriage look like? Do we have healthy boundaries? Are we both fulfilled in our sexual and romantic uh, desires? Ask your spouse, what could it look like for me to be the well that you more want to drink from? What would it look like for me to be a more loving and kind uh, spouse for you? Have those conversations go there. And then with full freedom, full blessing from the God of the universe and his way that he ordained that we ought to be married to one another enjoy one another and drink from your own well thanks for listening we hope it brought you closer to jesus and more in touch with the world around you being a christian in today's culture can be hard fortunately he gives us the gift of community through his church so we would love to invite you to join us for one of our sunday morning gatherings or for one of our weekly small groups all the details you need can be found on our website, dwelldenver.org.